That's wonderful. And so I want to talk this morning very, very briefly, and I assure you it is, is really the follow-on everything that Joe has spoken about, everything that we have begun to see, the way that this song has been speaking to us. Because the Christian life is the most exciting life you can ever have. But looking and meeting Christians, you think to yourself, oh my word, what's the matter with this lot? Because somehow... What we read in here doesn't seem to be able to translate itself into our actions, into our hearts, and into the lives that we live. We struggle with fears. We struggle with concerns. We struggle with the world around us that seems to do its level best to throw everything at us to tell us that God isn't real, that he doesn't exist. Walking down the high street, putting posters up the other day. Stop talking to a man outside uh, the Dutch store there who sat at one of those little tables with the chessboard. And he starts off by complaining that the board is the wrong way around. It should have the white square in the bottom right-hand corner, and it hasn't. And I said, well, just talk to the township. I can't do anything about it. And then we got onto the subject of evolution. And he says to me, he said, I can't believe all these people that call themselves Christians. And they believe, they believe that there's a God who created everything. And I looked at him and said, I tell you what, your faith must be massive to believe in evolution. Something that mathematically is incomprehensible. It cannot happen. And yet you're prepared to do that. But when it comes back to our Christian lives, it starts with this. The gospel. The gospel is simple. Now, some people are upset when I say that. The gospel itself is a message which is very, very simple for us to understand. So why is it that so many people don't understand it? Why is it so many people just go around with this blank look on their face? And I'm talking about the ones in church, not the people you meet outside. What's going on? And the Christian life. The Christian life is simple. And yet we seem to make it to something which is so hard and so complicated and so confusing that it's no wonder that people are spinning around and they haven't got a clue what's going on. It's no wonder that our young people, our children, are confused. They're scratching their heads, looking at us, thinking, well, all you do is complain about other people. All you do is criticize other people. All you do is fear. And you're not sure about your faith. But the gospel is simple. What is it? The gospel is the good news because it brings a person into everlasting and ever-increasing joy of knowing Jesus. The gospel is good news because of all that it does for us. Jesus is not merely a rope that pulls us out of threatening waves. You know, if you cross the North Sea even and you see the oceans around Europe and you see the waves crashing... Uh, does anyone know where Urk is in the Netherlands? Well, my wife and I found out what Urk's like because the waves were crashing against the seawall there and the wind was blowing. And do you know what? That's the life that people are facing. And I'm talking about outside, outside the church now. We think to ourselves, everything's fine. That's the impression that's given to us. And yet people's lives are struggling because of the storm that is blowing. And there's the gospel, simple, and it talks about bringing peace. The gospel itself is called the gospel of peace. Because Je Jesus doesn't just merely lift us out of these threatening waves. He's the solid beach under our feet and the air in our lungs. He's the beat of our heart, the warmth of the sun on us, the song that we hear. And he has his arms of love around us. The gospel is good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over 
his enemies so that there is now, as Joe said, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is there anybody who doesn't understand that? That's the gospel. Jesus, the fulfillment of God's love, brought into this world to save us for all eternity. The greatest good of the gospel is not forgiveness. Now, some of you are going to think to yourself, hold on a moment, where's this one going? The, the great uh, good of the gospel is not forgiveness, it's not justification, it isn't even eternal life. Great and wonderful as these things are, but the highest, the fullest, the deepest, the sweetest good of the gospel is God himself enjoyed by those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the life that you can live. That's the life that you want to live. That's the life that so many people are talking about. They want peace and all the rest of it, but they're not prepared to submit and to surrender to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You never, 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 ever outgrow your need for the gospel. You don't begin the Christian life with this and then leave it behind and get stronger with something else. God strengthens us with the gospel to the day that we die and are taken to be with him. Sam Albury was the speaker at uh, the convention that we attended to and Joe has, has uh, alluded to. And on one occasion, he made this point. Someone came up to him and said, I can give you a life that you'll absolutely love. We can do all different things together. Go places, do things. It'll be fulfilling. It'll be happy. And Sam turns to him and says, okay, let me just get this right. Is what you're talking about for all eternity? No, says the guy who's offered him this. So let me get this right. When I'm in a low place, when I'm feeling down, are you saying that joy is going to be dominant in my life? Well, no, there's always going to be times when we're not happy with what's going on. And Sam Albury looks at him and says, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Because the bar that Jesus set is way up there. And nobody else can ever come near it. Are you telling me that you'll die for me? Because he did. Are you telling me that you can give me everlasting life with him in his presence? The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose again eternally triumphant over his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe. So why do so many churches fall flat on their faces when it comes to the very basic requirement of the Christian faith to share the gospel? 
Why is it that so many churches fall on the basic requirement of telling people how they can have a victorious and abundant life in Jesus? One that can deal with fear, one that can deal with anxiety, one that can deal with the world in which we live, one that can give us a hope for all eternity, can give us the ability to see Jesus. And yet, these two basic requirements seem to slip through the fingers of the church and people walk out none the wiser. They walk out with the same problems they came in with. They walk out into the same failed lives that they have. They look at other people and they see failure. And I think one of the reasons very simply is this. Our human tendency is to complicate issues, to make it harder, we like to add things to the gospel. If there's any people with a Roman Catholic background here, you're more qualified to talk about this, but as we went through, particularly in Verona, some of those amazing, wonderful buildings, and we see golden statues of Mary holding a little baby, and you see uh, the imagery that's presented to you, and you think to yourself, the gospel is simple. And it doesn't exist in many of those churches. Because they like to think that Mary can help you more than Jesus. So one of the holidays, I didn't know this, in southern Europe is the assumption of Mary. Everything was closed on that day. A whole France, right the way through, Italy, all the countries in between. And that's because they remember or they, they've come up with this doctrine that Mary's body has been taken to heaven to avoid corruption and so on. I'm going to ask if Emma would pass you around uh, a little treat now and uh, we'll move on um, to uh, the next uh, slide because one of the evidences of the Christian life is very simply this. It's fruitfulness. Okay? And so what Emma's doing is just passing, uh, and, and my wife, uh, these are frozen grapes, okay? Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, eaten frozen grapes before. If you've got a tooth issue, well, perhaps let it go by, but uh, they're quite soft, even though they're frozen. And uh, we found in our household that it's quite a nice treat on a hot day to be able to eat this. So where do grapes come from? Grapes come from vines. Has anyone seen a grapevine? Has anyone not seen a grapevine? Okay, so where, whereabouts on the grapevine do the, vine, do the, do the grapes uh, uh, form? Where do you see them? This is not a difficult question. <laughs> okay, so you've got these branches that come out of the vine, and at the ends of the branches you'll find that you will see uh, very clearly the, um, the grapes that are forming. And as we drove around, particularly southern France, we just drove through many vineyards and we saw grapes everywhere. And so this helped me to understand the importance of what we're talking about here. So if you have your Bible, and uh, I hope over the course of the next little while you'll read um, from John chapter 15. But I just draw your attention to verse 11. Verse 11 says these things. This is Jesus speaking. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now, friends, that's exactly what it is that God wants for us. That's what Jesus wants for us. His joy to be made full in our lives. And as I say, I want you to, for a moment, to just think about your life. 
just for a moment, would you describe yourself as knowing the joy of Jesus? Would you describe yourself as being somebody who is rooted in the joy that comes from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ living within us? Is that your life? How do we know that we're saved and that we're joined to the vine, that we're grafted into the Lord Jesus Christ by our fruit? Because the branch that is broken off cannot bear fruit. The branch that is separated cannot bear fruit. And the grapes don't grow. And friends, this could be your problem. You're wondering why it is that other people have obvious fruit in their lives, blessings in their life, encouragement in their life, when things even go badly wrong for them. Still, somehow, there is a joy. And you're saying to yourself, this is impossible. How is it possible that this can happen? You see, the life that is rooted in Jesus will always, let me say that again, always produce fruit. It'll also produce fruit which is pleasing to the Savior, pleasing to Jesus himself. Fruit bearing is a beautiful process, and we're going to be looking at this over the next uh, few weeks. So firstly, I want to say this. Life is precious. Every moment counts. Our lives are a gift given to us by God. And questions that we often hear people ask in societies around the world even. What and who am I? Why am I here? And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the only group of people in the world that can answer those questions with total and utter confidence is believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever considered that? Now, the world spends its time trying to answer those questions. And in our town, sadly, we've got a lot of people who, is, who are asking the wrong type of questions. They're concerned about the questions that they've been asked. But here's the thing. The Christian doesn't have to experience an identity crisis. Because Jesus tells us who we are. And he tells us why we're here. He says, you're branches. He says, and I'm the vine. That's who we are. Jesus tells us why we are here to bear fruit. So to live the victorious Christian life, one that people look at you and respect you for, one that people look at you and say, I want that life, will only come if you are firmly grafted and rooted into the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because when that happens, his blood flows in our veins. And when that happens, we become more like him every day. And when that happens, our life changes. It's simple. So why do we fail? Why are we stopping or why do we stop from enjoying the abundant life that is given to us? Well, here's a, 
Oops, I took it that way. So here's a, a, a picture of something that happened to us in, uh, in Weymouth on the seafront. There's a sign that you see so often, and the sign read, um, chip thieves operate in this area. Okay? Uh, sorry, beware of... Yeah, beware of the locals. And who are the locals? The locals are seagulls, okay? So we were sat at a little table outside of a restaurant, and suddenly this huge bird flies in over the top of us. We're sat around this table, flies down, and Jack's chicken tender is grabbed from his hand, and the seagull just, just flies off with it. And you know what? That's what our lives are like. So often we discover that the thief comes in and steals and the things that are precious to us, the things that God has given to us, can so often be stolen. And we wonder what's going on. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Christian after Christian, countless numbers of people in churches live lives that have been wrecked because the most precious things have been stolen from them. And the relationship with Jesus has been taken away in, in its real outworking. And it's been replaced with total rubbish. And that is the reason why so many people struggle in their lives. And I know there are people here this morning. You may not admit it. You perhaps don't want to admit it. But that's your life. It's been destroyed because Satan has come in and has stolen from you. John 8, 44. What does that verse say? Can anybody give me the gist of it without looking it up? It's a verse that we should be aware of. Okay. It talks about Satan. And what does it say that he is? It says he's a liar. And it says that his very language is deceit and lies. And too often... We're prepared to listen. Did God really say you should live like that? Did God really say you shouldn't do that? And suddenly someone comes along and encourages us to listen. So the enemy that's spoken of here is uh, the thief. Ultimately, uh, it's Satan uh, who is uh, the enemy of God. But the thing is, Satan works with accomplices. And those accomplices are all around us. What are the sort of things that rob us of our enjoyment of life and our relationship with God? Well, there's just a few of them, but I put at the bottom, etc., etc. You can't see that bit because it's behind the, the picture at the bottom. But you see, we can be so impatient, can't we? I want it all now. But then that's the nature of our world. That's the nature of society that we have around us. It's one that isn't prepared to wait. And yet the Christian life is one where we grow and where we learn. 
and where we rejoice in what God has for us. Selfish indulgences, all the things of this world that are just thrown at us. I want to say it's just young people that struggle. It's rubbish. It's all of us. And we can be caught out so easily. Who likes food? I love food. And during our trip, I've enjoyed eating all the different foods around Europe. Italy keeps coming up as being the, the, the top one. The Italians know how to have a good time. Okay, they, they really do. They make the most of the beaches. They make the most of driving. How can you have so much fun driving a car? Well, go to Italy. It's like an F1 race. <laughs> it's like a NASCAR race. And that's just, just going out the front gate and down the lane. They can be a bit impatient. Sorry, Marianne. But have you ever met an Italian who waits at a T-junction? No way. He's going to move. She's going to move halfway across the road while there's still traffic coming. But impatience. You see, God has the very best plan for us. But there are times when we have to wait because he wants it to be at the best time for us. Um sleeping if you're a youngster here jack seems to have turned over a new leaf at the moment we've uh, he gets up before lunch <laughs> sex and all the stuff that comes in there alcohol drugs and the list goes on and on. These are all things that keep us from enjoying the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. And the reason is, is that because instead of being, being, being grafted into Jesus, we're just floating around and finding the things that we want, the things that we're going to laugh at, the things that we want to have as fun, the things that we think are right for us. And all the time we fail to realize that the way that we will live the abundant Christian life is simply by being joined in to the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his power flows into us, and we rejoice in that. But friends, there are some pretty subtle things as well <clears throat> that come in and steal from us. Fear of the future. And that's one thing that is sweeping around communities at the moment. I'm afraid of what the future holds. Regrets of the past. The times that you think back and with all your heart you wish you could have changed it. You could have done it different. The stupid, stupid mistakes that you made. And they will be with you for the whole of your life if you're not careful. Relationships that have gone horribly wrong. The way you treated your children. And you think to yourself, no wonder they don't want to have anything to do with me. times that we've let God down and God says this I don't remember I don't remember your sin I don't keep bringing it up before you 
Many young people have got this idea that they're not important anymore. And they're trying to make up for it in lots of different ways. And societies and churches as well, we tend to forget how important our young people are. Nobody cares for me, but God does. He cares for you. And I learned that when I ended up in the ER in, uh, in Rome. <laughs> You've got to come next Sunday evening for a series, four messages that we're going to talk about. Uh, be a bit of a different sort of um, way of, of speaking. But just simply my testimony of what happened to me in an environment where I didn't know what was being said, languages, couldn't read anything. And yet, the Lord Jesus was there physically. And it was great joy to be able to have that. But the abundant life that Jesus spoke of in John 15 can be yours right now. I stand by that because God's word states it. Right now, you can have this abundant life. You can be broken away from anxiety and fear, from the problems of the past, the sin of the past, the broken relationships. And so I'd like to invite you to come along each Sunday morning for the next five weeks. And what we're going to do is to learn the secrets to live this life that Jesus wants for us now. So this is the order that uh, we're going to present these things. Um, next week, the secret of living is bearing fruit. And then the following October, the secret of abiding is obeying. The eighth, the secret of obeying is loving. The 15th, the secret of loving is knowing. And uh, God willing, the 15th will be um, a service of believers' baptism. So that's the outline of what we're going to be looking at. And I hope that uh, with me you will come uh, with expectant hearts and rejoice in recognizing that the gospel is simple. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean we're into easy believism. But the gospel itself is simple. How to live the Christian life is so, so simple. But sadly, we miss the simplicity of both the gospel and living the Christian life. And we end up with the most complicated mess that you could ever.